Good morning. My name is Margarita. Our scripture passage comes from the book of Numbers, chapter 21, verses 4 through 9. Dear God, I pray that our hearts and minds would be opened as we read this passage. They marched from Mount Hor on the Reed Sea Road around the land of Edom. The people became impatient on the road. The people spoke against God and Moses. Why did you bring us up from Egypt to kill us in the desert where there is no food or water, and we detest this miserable bread? So the Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people, and they bit the people. Many of the Israelites died. The people went to Moses and said, We've sinned, for we spoke against the Lord and you. Pray to the Lord so that he will send the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. The Lord said to Moses, Make a poisonous snake and place it on a pole. Whoever is bitten can look at it and live. Moses made a bronze snake and placed it on a pole. If a snake bit someone, that person could look at the bronze snake and live. The word of the Lord. And thank you for reading the scripture for us. Again, that was Numbers 21, 4 through 9 in the Common English Bible. We are in the Old Testament. And I think this passage is really interesting. If Jesus hadn't quoted uh, Numbers 21 um, or referenced it in John chapter 3, I don't believe this would be in the lectionary at all because it's kind of strange and it's got some challenges to it. Um, but... I, we're going to go for it and see where it takes us. But I don't know if you remember, I think it was the 80s, in the 80s, the movie Groundhog Day is a classic, one of my favorites, Bill Murray, isn't it? And I didn't have time uh, to watch it again to refresh my memory. But here's the, the general premise. The premise is that Bill Murray is, I think he was a businessman, but he was kind of cutthroat and a jerk, basically a jerk to people. And yet, he lacked intimacy in his life. He was a lonely person. Um, so on Groundhog's Day, his alarm goes off, wakes up, it's the uh, radio alarm, and it says, it's Groundhog's Day, da, 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 the, the voice on the radio. He wakes up and starts his day. But on this day, um, it's different than any other day because it's the day he dies. So Bill Murray dies, but then, uh, the alarm goes off again, and good morning, it's Groundhog's Day, and he's somehow caught in this loop, like a groundhog, right, comes out of its hole, and if he sees the shadow, he goes back into the hole, and it's still winter, or he stays out in the spring, uh, Bill Murray recycles uh, the day, relives the day, and each time he lives his day, maybe he makes different choices like a choose your adventure movie or book uh, but he still the end result is that he still dies um, he still dies and he's trying to uh, meet this one woman and uh, you know get in good with her but each time he fails or each time he makes a mistake or makes her mad he acts like a jerk or uh, missteps with this person um, so this goes, it rinse and repeat, it goes over and over and over again until finally the end of the story is the cycle's broken and they're together 
and he wakes up and he has the day, you know, it's not Groundhog's Day. He wakes up, he's alive, and it's the next day, and he's with this person. So rinse and repeat over living out the same day over and over again. And really, I think the hardest part for me, if I were experiencing this in some fantasy world, would be to die over a painful death over and over and over again. Like, oh, that would hurt. That would be excruciating torture. So he's rinsing and repeating the day of his death. But all along, there are little changes that are happening. His heart, his personality, the choices he makes are changing. He's becoming a better person. He's becoming a more open person. He's becoming a less selfish person. He's becoming a more caring person to the point where this woman uh, who in her his timeline is experiencing him for the first time each time um, and to the point where she sees him as someone with possibility. Um, so all throughout Numbers, we are given the story of the Exodus, the people leaving slavery, God leading them out through Moses from Egypt out of slavery. Right now, they're in the Sinai um, desert uh, between Egypt and the promised land that God is taking them to, that God is promising them to. Um, but the people end up wandering in this desert, in this wilderness, for 40 years, for 40 years, right? And there's this cycle, this repetition, like the movie Groundhog Day, that they keep reliving over and over again, where God delivers them and promises them in his covenant relationship and promises them a good life in him, in the promised land. And the people follow and they're happy and they're glad. But then struggle comes or obstacles come or suffering come like being in the desert and having no water, being in the desert and having no food. And, and when this happens, when they hit a road bump on the way, they begin to complain. In fact, they begin to rebel. Why? And look back to their enslavement in Egypt and start to romanticize it, idealize it. Like, at least in Egypt, we got to eat. It was so nice. We ate this wonderful food in Egypt. Don't mind you that they were enslaved and had to work, you know, day, all day under hard labor. Um, but they say, oh, we, it would be better off if we were in Egypt, if we had just stayed in Egypt. And so on and on they go, and God, being merciful and compassionate, clearly if he were human, clearly if I was in charge of these people, I would be frustrated and be like, forget you guys then. Don't you remember how I delivered you? Don't you remember how I, in my power, saved you from the hand of Pharaoh? But each time God graciously provides through water from a rock, through manna, they were hungry. He provided manna from heaven. He even provided quail. Well, you, you're tired of bread? You're tired of soggy bread? How about some meat, right? And God is providing them over and over. But like groundhogs, they, they seem to cycle back into the same pattern of disobedience, into the same complaint, into the same rebellious attitude. Once something hard happens, once 
a challenge arises, they seem to forget everything that God has done in their life and say, God, you've abandoned us. Or God, why have you even brought us out here just to die, to wander in this desert? And verse 4 says, they marched from Mount Hor on the Red Sea around the land of Eden. I imagine just hordes of people just marching in a line through the desert. It isn't, it couldn't have been pleasant. And it says the people became impatient on the road. How many times, church, have we been impatient on the road? How many times have we forgotten, lest we laugh at them? Don't you remember what God has done? We too have experienced times in our life when we've been on our knees saying, God, help us. If you help me this one time, I promise I'll give you my whole life. I'll be so good. And God answers that prayer or God delivers. God provides. God shows that he's good, that he loves us, that he cares for us. And then the next time we have amnesia in the desert, right? We hit a hard time once again, and it's like Groundhog's Day. Good morning, it's Groundhog's Day. Rinse and repeat. We forget everything that God has done in our life. We forget how God has been good in our life. We forget all the things he's already done for us, and we complain once again. God, it was better, it'd been better off if I hadn't followed you to this place, because this situation sucks. This place stinks. How many times, how many times do we cycle and cycle and cycle, right? Trusting, forgetting, trusting, forgetting, begging and pleading, God, forgive us, take us back, forgetting again. And God, being the gracious, loving God, continues to come back, God continues to receive his people into his arms. So the people speak up against God and Moses, and it's almost a refrain throughout Numbers. I don't know how many times the same pattern has been repeated. Why did you bring us up from out of Egypt to kill us in the desert where there is no food or water and we detest this miserable bread? And verse six, so, so because they were complaining, so because they were uprising, the Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people and they bit the people. Many of the Israelites died. The people went to Moses and said, we've sinned for we spoke against the Lord and you prayed to the Lord said that he will send the snakes away. So Moses prayed for the people. Moses is the one who's closest to God. Moses is the one who went up Sinai to receive the law from God. Moses is the one who saw the glory of God and intercedes, you know, communicates with the people at the foot of the mountain. And so the people are asking for Moses to stand between them and God once again to intercede on their behalf. Please, we're sorry. Forgive us. We have sinned. And Moses does pray. 
And the Lord says to Moses, make poisonous snakes and place it on a pole. Whoever's bitten can look at it and live. Moses made a bronze snake and placed it on a pole. If a snake bit someone, that person could look at the bronze snake and live. One thing that's interesting to note is that what the people want Moses to pray for is what any of us would pray for. Take these snakes away. I don't know about you, but I'm deathly afraid of snakes. Even the green gardener snakes, if it's going around in the grass, I'm like, ah, get away. I want to stomp on it, right? We're afraid of snakes because, right, they're faster than us. They're, they slither at our ankles. They can bite us. Some are venom, uh, poisonous. We can die if they bite us. So snakes are just creepy things. And the people are like, get the snakes away. And then Moses prays for them, but God's answer is different than what they ask, right? God does not take the snakes away. He actually says, make a pole with a bronze snake, with a poisonous bronze snake, right? And the word here is a fiery snake. Like the word poisonous is also the meaning, the connotation uh, is one of fiery, like a fiery snake, because poison makes your skin burn, uh, the venom. Um, a fiery bronze snake and place it on a pole. And whoever is bitten can look at it and live. So God doesn't even provide a way. He doesn't send the snakes away or kill all the snakes. And even that, he, he, the people still get bitten. The people still experience the pain of fangs, right? Penetrating their skin and the pain of feeling like you're, about, you're poisoned and about to die, right? God doesn't take the pain away. God doesn't take uh, the suffering away. God doesn't take the snakes away. But he does say, when you get bit, just look at this thing and you will live. Oh, great. Thanks, God. And there's a, you know, we can go on and on and talk a lot about this because there's a lot of things that in our context we might find problematic, right? God sent a plague. God sent snakes to punish people. And in, you know, innocent people died or maybe they're not innocent. They just didn't listen to you or trust you all the time. But aren't you a gracious God? Why would you actually kill people? So that's problematic. The other thing is in the pattern in numbers is that a lot of, you know, a lot of commentators recognize that numbers is broken into two different sections. And, the, and these sections are divided by genealogies. So in, uh, in Numbers 1, there's a genealogy. And these are all the people of Israel who came out of Egypt. And actually, all, these, um, all the names that were named that are coming out of, that came out of Egypt, aside from Joshua and Caleb, none of those people actually entered the Promised Land. And then number, the, the second half uh, is marked by Numbers 26, where there's another genealogy, and this is of the generations that will enter the promised land. So how do we feel about the fact that God, through numbers, is slowly killing off the older generation to the point where none of the older generation, the first generation, will enter the promised land, and it's only this next generation that'll enter, right? 
what, isn't this the God of promise? Isn't this the God of covenant? Didn't he promise them the promised land? And yet they, even Moses, will never enter, actually enter the promised land. And I think just as Bill Murray, through his cycle of rinse and repeat of one day, Groundhog's Day, in that story, the theme is his heart is changing each day. He's becoming a different person and making different choices each day. And we have to recognize that God is mysterious. God is mysterious in his judgment, in his mercy. And I don't have the answer. But what I, I do know is when we choose the same thing, when we choose not to trust God and not God over and over and over again, we need to know that there's consequences to sin. And those consequences are ones that we choose into, right? So if you're a Lord of the Rings friend, uh, I think it was Fellowship of the Rings, there's a scene where Bilbo Baggins, who's the, uh, the main character, the Hobbit from The Hobbit, right? The, the original carrier, finder, discoverer of the ring of power. He, uh, Frodo sends him off on a boat to another place because and Frodo is going to be the next generation of Hobbit to carry the ring of power because Bilbo can no longer be a part of that adventure because he's been tainted, right? He's carried the ring for so long and his heart has been corrupted by it. You remember when Frodo shows him the ring and he goes, <laughs> right, Bilbo, right? And so he's like, I gotta go, you know? and live my life apart from the ring. And Frodo becomes the one who can carry this to the next generation. And sometimes we never reach the promised land. And that's a lesson in and of itself. Like, what do we do when the things we've prayed for and hoped for for so long, they get further and further away from us. They never actually happen. Right? Is there a guarantee that we will have life? Uh, that we will have the things that we hope or pray for? Maybe we never reach complete healing. Maybe we never are reconciled in our relationship with that person, uh, that broken relationship. Maybe what we long for never happens to the fullest extent in our lifetime. How do we deal with that disappointment? What does it mean to continue to pray in the desert, continue to trust in God and follow him in the midst of not achieving the final goal. That's one thing we can glean from this. Like God, God doesn't take away the snakes. God doesn't even save the people from getting bit, right? They want him to take the snakes away. He just says, if you look at this, you will be healed. If you look at this, you will be healed. This passage is important, I believe, because in John chapter 3, Jesus alludes to it. And in John chapter 3, it's a conversation with the Pharisee Nicodemus. And Nicodemus is coming to him in the night and saying, how, how can I be saved? You know, what must I do to have eternal life? Which is a question many religious leaders come to Jesus with. 
questioning, asking that question. And Jesus talks about being born again. You must be born again. And Nicodemus doesn't understand what born again. How can I be? How can this be? How can I be go through my mother's womb again? And Jesus is like, you don't understand these things? You're a religious leader and you don't understand these things? You must be born from above. Right? Just like Moses, and this, this is the quote, just like Moses raised the serpent in the desert, so too must the Son of Man be raised up for the salvation of all. And then the famous verse after that is John 3.16, right? God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And so I don't know if Jesus and John, the writer of the gospel, is being allegorical. Like, you know, we're taking this random example in numbers and being using it as an allegory for salvation through Jesus Christ, right? The point that Jesus is making is, I am your salvation and your healing, right? Just like the people of Israel looked to the snake that was lifted up by Moses in the desert. Now, in this new covenant, all, all who look to the Son of Man raised up on the rod, in this case, the actual cross, will be saved. Amen. I think uh, one of my kind of personal responses to the scripture is, man, it's hard to be faithful. It's hard to trust God in the desert. Like, I see myself as being like these people. Like, who can blame them? <laughs> it's a hard journey. 40 years in the desert, right? There's not, it's not like they had a buffet. It's not like they had a choice of any food they want. It was manna and quail, right? They didn't even have hot sauce or habanero sauce to make it taste a little better, right? It was hard. And... And I don't want to say, I don't want to say, oh, it's because of sin that bad things happen to people, right? God, because then we run the risk of saying, oh, God brings hurricanes to countries because they sin. God brought COVID, right, to the world because of our sin. I don't, I don't think that's the case. I feel like it's the flip that's true. When there's COVID, when there's hurricanes or disasters, right? God is there for us to look at and lean into in times of suffering. And the promise isn't, you will not feel pain, you will not ever suffer, there'll never be snakes, you'll never get bitten, there'll never be disease, there'll never be suffering or economic hardship. Or the promise is, you'll one day before you die, you'll have the relationships you want, the money you want, the security you want, the job you want, that's not a guarantee, right? And maybe, uh, yeah, that's not a guarantee, but the guarantee is wherever you're at, whatever place you find yourself in the journey, whatever obstacle there is before you, whatever affliction you're suffering, from that place, 
Look upon Jesus and trust in him. And there's healing and comfort and help for you. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. And as we are in Lent and we're journeying in the desert, just as you were tempted for 40 days in the wilderness, just as the people of Israel wandered for 40 years in the desert of Sinai, we are walking for these 40 days um, towards the cross with you. And even in this season um, of the pandemic, we may be all experiencing an extra burden. We know that, right? And this, it's not that our sin brought this sickness to us, but maybe COVID-19 or other suffering that comes actually reveals the sin that is already in us or in our systems. And it's how we respond, who we look to, what we lean into. So in the desert, just as the Son of Man was lifted up, may we gaze upon Jesus Christ and the cross and what you've done for us and hope and new life in you. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.